turning with us today of the Green Bay Packers and again I didn't want to our, our meeting like this to you know our second meeting to be this way over this issue but uh, America has reached a boiling point in the victimization and disregard of black life and I know this is something you're passionate about and I want to know your thoughts Billy yeah I, uh, I appreciate it man it's uh, I don't think this is the way anyone you know would like to meet or to do an interview um you know with that being said there's a lot that is going on in our world right now there's a lot going on in our country there's a lot going on in our state down to every level down to the community that you live in all the way up into the world there's just there's stuff going on everywhere it's almost chaotic you know the last time we spoke we spoke about what was going on in the world of sports and kind of going on in the world via the pandemic that we're still in, you know, and just a, a month or two later, we're back on here talking about an issue that has exists in our culture, exists in our country, in our world for centuries. Um, and that is, that is racism that is racial injustice, that is police brutality, and that is the, the unfair treatment of humans of all walks of life, any type of minority, whether you are a black man, whether you are a white man in some regards, whether you are Asian, whether you are Mexican, it does not matter. If you are a minority in situations, racism can and probably has been a part of your life in some type of way so you know with that being said first and foremost you know my heart my prayers my family the people around me is with George Floyd and his family what he endured and what he went through was unacceptable not only him Ahmaud Aubrey um, the young lady uh, Brianna the stuff that has happened just in the past few months alone has sparked a lot of, I don't want to call it interest, but it's almost that it sparked a different vision from a lot of people out there who maybe didn't necessarily know this was an issue. Maybe they knew in the back of their mind, but it's an issue now because they have to deal with it. Their cities are being destroyed. Everyday life as they know it is different. And with that being said, do I believe that that is right? No, I don't believe that's right. Not at all. Racism is an issue that, like I said before, has exists for centuries. You know, it's not just now that it's become an issue. It's not that it wasn't an issue five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 it's always been an issue. And the best example that resonates with me as a man that I have seen from celebrities, 
posting and saying was what Will, Will Smith said. And that was, it's not that racism just, you know, also has begun or hasn't been an issue. It's exists for a long time. It hasn't gotten any worse. It's just that it's been filmed more media. Had, there's more media attention around it. So it's, um, it's unfortunate. It really truly is. And, you know, like I said, with that being said, my heart, my prayers are out to the George Floyd family and my heart and my prayers are out to everyone else that has been on the front lines and that has to exist with racism in their everyday lives. I want to talk to you about um, some issues you've had and and how you've handled the issues moving forward. And, And, what you think needs to be done to handle things the correct way. Um, have you in your life experienced police harassment or been racially profiled? Um, I've definitely been racially profiled. I've definitely dealt with racism on a number of number of accounts. Um, you know, first and foremost, growing up, I went to Moundsview High School. My dad played in the NFL for a couple of years. My dad grew up in LA and Utah. My mom grew up here. My mom's family is from Louisiana and Chicago. My dad's family is from Texas and Arkansas. So, you know, the roots of my culture come from the South. I grew up in Minnesota and I went to Moundsview High School, a public school that is north of the Twin Cities. And I went there because it was such a highly regarded public school as far as education, you know, um, growing up, going to school there, little league football, walking around elementary school, walking around middle school and high school. There were kids that I knew that, you know, would say the N word and almost say it like a joke see if they could get a rise out of me, say it with a smile. Oh, I'm just kidding. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. And, you know, I remember having a conversation with my mom in the car when she was dropping me off to, uh, it was either the end of elementary school or the first part of middle school, kind of about someone saying that, you know, and having the conversation with my mom and having the conversation with my dad would go a little bit differently, but, You know, basically what was said to me is if anyone uses that word around you, it's not that, you know, you shouldn't punch them. It's not that you shouldn't fight. It's not that you shouldn't do something about it, but it's that if you do do something about it, you will be in the wrong, you know, and how do you explain that to a kid that's in elementary school? You know, that that's a tough situation, but I understood this at an early age. So whether it was my brother playing AAU basketball or playing basketball and the ref is harassing my brother for no reason, but my dad is in the stands and my dad has to get up and do something about it because this ref is about to put his hands on my brother. You know, situations like that have been a part of my life since I was young. And that, you know, that's why I understand. And when I really understood that racism was something that was very much alive still in our culture and in our community. It's not something that just went away. Um, I went to school, North Dakota state up in Fargo. 
I got pulled over two times that I can remember um, by police officers approaching my car from the back of my car. Like you get pulled over, they approach my vehicle. The license plate is in the back trying to tell me that my tabs are expired. And I go, um, sir, my tabs can't be expired. I just put them on last week. Do you want to go check them again? You know, the tabs are all specified in year by color, right? You know, so I lived downtown. I lived by uh, one of the police stations. So, you know, call it profiling, maybe, maybe not. You know, it is what it is. But it's situations like that that you remember as a black man when you're in a community that is predominantly white. On top of that, going to school, being on the football field in high school and college, hearing opposing players throw racial slurs and use the N-word. For what? I mean, we're on the football field now. Like, look, it's, I'm not going to get in maybe as much trouble if I'm out here on the football field between the lines beating your ass as I would if I was off the field, you know? So, you know, by all means, if you want to throw a racial slur on the football field, it's, it's all game for me at that point, you know? So there's situations like that, that have, that I've experienced personally, you know, but there's plenty of situations that my family members have dealt with. My eldest brother, Brian was at a stop sign with his car rolled down. A guy pulls up in a car and just starts throwing the N word out there just for no reason. My brother, you know, 6'3", 250 pounds, also playing the NFL, gets out of his car. The guy takes off. Other brother, uh, Maurice, probably six, seven years ago it was, he was downtown Minneapolis with one of his friends, a female who happened to be um, Caucasian. She was white. And they were just talking. White dude comes up, sucker punches him in his jaw, splits his jaw. Brother chases him down, starts beating him up, uh, gets pulled off of him. And my brother's jaw is wired shut for seven months, you know? So, you know, racism definitely exists. Um, there's plenty of more instances that I've come across and my family's come across in life, you know, but the person that I am, the person that I am striving to become is someone that does not resort to violence and does not resort to negativity with issues. Um, and it's tough. It's tough to see your people slain down in broad daylight for no reason. You know, and us as the African-American culture, it doesn't matter the community that you're in. If something happens to another African-American or another minority, I take that personally, as does the rest of our culture, which is why you see all of these protests. I'm not going to speak on the riots because I do not believe that was minorities starting those riots. Did minorities take place in them? 100% they did. You know, but I'm not going to speak on that because I don't believe in that. But with that being said, it's a... Uh, it's tough, man. And the black community, the black culture, you know, maybe you have noticed it. You know, there's a reason why when you're out in public, whether you're in a predominantly white area, suburb, neighborhood, whatever, or a black one, when another black man sees another person of color walking down, he gives him a head nod. You know, and to me, that head nod is 
out of respect, but that head nod is that, look, I see you, you see me. You know what? You're out here walking these streets, risking your lives every single day. And I respect that. And I want you to know that I'm with you, essentially. You know, it's an unspoken language and an unspoken um, thing that a lot of people do. And it's no different than, you know, people in Jeeps driving, giving the hand wave. People on motorcycles driving, giving the hand wave. It's out of respect. I see you, you see me. You know, so it, it, it's an it's a interesting culture that we live. It's, a, it's an interesting world that we live. By no means is it fair, you know, but this is the life that we live in. It's really, truly up to us to try to make a difference and try to make a change. You know, I, I want to talk to you about how you've had to move differently due to those situations, emotionally, mentally, and, and what you're doing for your mental health and your physical health. Are there outlets that you're using that you think are safe ways to move forward to help people progress in the right way? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's tough. The mental aspect of this is tough because especially right now, because there's so much going on, you need to be mentally sane going through a pandemic that the whole world is being touched by a a virus that can kill you, that can kill your family. Yet here we are trying to tackle an issue that has existed for centuries in racism. How do you manage the both of them and continue to walk that straight path forward throughout everyday life, being the same person and being sane? That's that's not tough to do. It's not tough to do in regular, ordinary life, even if you don't have to deal with those problems. It's tough, you know, but I think it's in my blood as a black man and in minorities blood to endure and to handle things like this that get thrown at you. You know, I don't think that's out of the question to believe something like that. Um, with that being said, how do I maneuver throughout the city? Um, I was hanging out with my buddy Malik yesterday, you know, Mal, and Mm -hmm. I got news that the interstates were going to be shut down. I had to figure out how to get home, but I had to figure out how to get home without going down certain streets and being seen. You know, there was a bunch of reports the last four days, especially yesterday, of white supremacist groups coming into the city and being seen around the city, whether they're in full garb or not, whether they're driving vehicles with no plates on them, getting pulled over with, you know, arson things inside, et cetera, to start rides, to burn things. Um, There's reports that I was reading of someone whose father had gotten basically followed and chased home by a group of white men and his white neighbors had to come outside with baseball bats, et cetera, to protect him and to make sure he got in his house safe. You know, so, you know, I, I follow your boy, Tevin. Tevin uh, and me went to school together for a couple of years. And I know Tevin's been out there on the front lines trying to get some footage of this and, and seeing the footage that he's gotten. And especially last night, seeing a group of men with white hoods walk down the street in front of his apartment. I think they ended up getting arrested from what he had posted, but that is, you know what, for us to be dealing with that today in 2020, back in 1960, maybe you would say, nah, by 2020, it's gotta be, no, this has existed ever since then. And now 
with something like this and the uproar, it gives them the opportunity, unfortunately, to come into our city, whether they come into our city, whether they live in our city, but it just gives them the opportunity to shed light on the, uh, on them. And all they're really doing, whether they're doing no harm or not, is being out in the public. So we see them trying to put fear in our eyes. You know? interesting tactic being a black man is that going to put fear in my eyes it's not going to put fear in my eyes it's going to put fear in in my mind for the people out there that i know might not be able to protect themselves it puts fear in my mind of my mom going out in public whether she's going to the grocery store or somewhere else or going to work if someone follows her home and she's by herself you know that, that that's what i think of i don't think of myself you know, unless you're rolling up with multiple people, I think I can handle myself and I could be completely wrong. You know what? But that's not going to change my mindset because that's who I am. I'm a protector and I'm a fighter, you know, but the people that I instantly think of in times like this are other people who may be helpless and cannot help themselves. So how do I maneuver throughout the city? I have a tattoo on my hand that says head on a swivel. That's how I operate throughout life head on a swivel, regardless of where I'm at. I know if I'm in a predominantly white area, I know if I'm in a predominantly black area, whatever the culture may be, I know who's around me because I look and I keep my head on a swivel at all times. If I'm driving a car, I'll tell you if I see a police car in a four block radius because my head's on a swivel the entire time I'm driving. If I get pulled over, I might not live to see another day. That is the mindset that I have, unfortunately, and that is the mindset that black men in my demographic live by now. So maneuvering throughout the city is interesting, might be a little different, especially now with the riots and the protests, but by no means is it any different for me. My head is on a swivel at all times, and I know who is around me as much as possible. What conversations do you think white America needs to have with themselves to help move, to help move forward, to make progress in the right direction? You know, that that's an interesting question. Um, I think history has proved this a little bit. Um, but I think a lot of people, your everyday life, depending on how old you are, if you sit and you really think about examples, things that you've experienced, how do you help someone in any regard with any issue? You know, you might want to help your friend with a diet, help him working out, help him stop smoking, etc. You know, you can give examples, you can give relationship advice to as many people as you want. People are not going to listen and people are not going to change unless they want to change and they want to make a difference. You can tell someone 10 times and it doesn't make a difference. Another person can tell someone once and they really hear it that time and it makes a difference. You know, so how, how you conquer that issue, I don't know for sure, but by all means, it needs to continuously be repeated, continuously be repeated by as many people as possible because you never know when something will make a difference. You never know if it's me, if it's another athlete, a celebrity, just a random person, or an experience that someone will see in their own eyes for the first time that is going to 
light a spark underneath them and make a change. So I think it's vocally, I think it's visually, and I think we continue on the path that we're on because we have no choice. There's not one thing that we can do that fixes this. You know, it's not the president of the United States can't just go out and say something and it completely fixes this issue. It just doesn't work like that. There's too many people with too many different views. You know, I, I don't think that you're born racist. I think you're raised that way. You know, I, I think people who are ignorant and believe in racist views are raised that way. I don't think that's, I don't think you're born that way. By no means do I believe that. So it's, uh, man, like I said, it, it's tough, you know, but until something hits closer to home, a lot of people don't really notice, appreciate, or, or do stuff about issues. And, you know, I think this uproar, this uprising has caused a lot of people to realize stuff because it's hitting close to home. This last incident with George Floyd happened in South Minneapolis in Minnesota last week, a week, a week ago tomorrow. There's 30 to 50 cities across this country who are protesting and rioting right now. Cities like cities like Fargo, North Dakota, not a big city, you know? So what that says is the media attention behind this is working. It's working to our benefit in a sense. It's also working against us in a sense, but that lets you know that people do notice people are seeing this and whether the people who are rioting are people who believe in the issue or people who are just trying to make it look like us as minorities are out there wrecking shop you know what, it is still, it's still making a point in bringing light to situations. Yes, I just wish that it didn't have to be the burning of buildings, cars, businesses destroyed because that's destroying people's lives. You know, I don't believe in any of that at all, but you know, unfortunately the media attention does help. Um, I just don't know that it helps in the best regard all the time. The, the thing that, I get sad about is the bigger message seems to be getting lost due to the buildings and they're forgetting that a life was lost. You can't replace a life. You can always rebuild. You can always get more product, more merchandise. You can create that stuff again, but you can't bring that life back. That, you know what, you, you're, you're correct about part of that. And the other part about that is some of these businesses that are lost, if that is a minority's business, the fact of the matter and the truth behind that is it's harder for African-Americans and minorities to get business loans and to get loans in general in this country. So you can replace product, et cetera, but those are people's lives. Also people put their life savings into those businesses. And I would rather it be product than another human life. 110%. Um, you know, but it's, you know, the light that's being shined on this, it's a light that's needed. Um, like I said, it's not always the correct light. It's not always the correct shade of what needs to be 
notice to what needs to be uh, enlightened in our eyes as humans. But you know what? With that being said, you, you don't really get a choice sometimes. If you think about racial injustice in the 1960s, if you think about Martin Luther King, if you think about Malcolm X, if you think about these historic figures throughout the course of history, they all had different tactics. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X had different tactics. The same end goal in mind, in my opinion, different tactics. Who's to say that one of them worked better than the other? I don't think you can truly say that. I think they made their mark on history. I think they made a change at that time. And the reason that I think they made a change at the time was because segregation in public places, schooling, et cetera, they made, they made those changes. They helped move our people. They helped move our country. And they helped those things happen. There is, there is more uh, things that need to happen. There is laws that I believe need to be put into place and people that need to be held accountable regardless of if you have a badge on your chest or if you do not. How that happens, I don't know. But I know that there is a tremendous amount of people in the black community and the black culture that have great ideas and that are collaborating, trying to come up with something, trying to come up with a way, a tactic to move forward and to attack this. But in the meantime, as someone who is a, a white man, a white person, a black man, a black person, a human in general, you get out there and you make a difference by allowing your voice to be heard in a way that you feel comfortable with. Comfortability is a big part about this. It's different for everyone. This is an uncomfortable situation, but there is ways that you can move about this in a way that is comfortable for you. And it's no different than a lot of other things. You know, if you're playing football for the first time and you go out to your first practice, you might be a little bit nervous, but I bet you by practice 10, you're going out there having fun, you know? So you approach this in a comfortable way. That is the right way for you to take that first step into this situation and then you take baby steps and you move forward and you be cautious with every step that you take, especially if you're not a minority, because if you take the wrong step, all hell will break loose. And history has showed that. So you can make a difference. You just got to make sure you're doing it in the right way and doing it in a way that is comfortable for you. Billy, I really appreciate your time. And I really hope this sparks the minds of somebody who can make great change. I'm, I'm sorry, man. I have no other words to say. I'm just, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know what, man? It's, uh, I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate your apology, you know, but it's not, it's not you that has to apologize. Uh, you know, you can't put this on, you can't put this on one person for an apology. I, I do appreciate that. It does mean something to me because I have respect for you. Um, you know, but what's going on out there. You know, it's not just an apology from one person. It's not an apology from an entire race that is going to change things because as we sit right now, the mark has been made. History cannot be written differently. 
but the future can be. And you know what? It's up to us to shape that future in a way that we want to. And this is always going to be an issue. I don't believe racism is ever going to not be an issue on this earth, you know, but I think there can be big strides that are taken forward. And with that being said, I know I've said it plenty of times, it is up to us. And uh, I just hope and I pray nightly and daily that we do take strides forward. You know, that at the light at the end of the tunnel is there. There's a silver lining um, that at the end of, call it every week, every month, there's progress that is made moving forward that helps us, that helps humanity. So, you know, with that being said, again, we'll see. But I, I appreciate you hitting me up. I appreciate you giving me this platform to speak my mind, to allow people to know what I think. And uh, again, I appreciate your apology. You're a great dude. And you know what? I respect you 100%. Thank you, Billy. I appreciate you more than you know. Thank you. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it. We have Armand Battle right. with us here today who is in the front lines. Armand, can you tell me about what you experienced yesterday? For sure. For sure. I mean, uh, the day started with, with, a text that went out between a group of the Minnesota athletes. Um, our friend Royce White, who is a very vocal person in Minneapolis, wanted to organize a group of athletes or prominent athletes in Minnesota who I guess for me it was great because I guess it, it's a lot of – it's people got to see a lot of their favorite Minnesota athletes on the front line doing something other than playing a sport. That was something that, of course, I, I had to be a part of, too, because that is something that at this time we're venturing into. Um, we're just venturing into a different time right now where our ecosystem of life is being affected by this huge bruise of police brutality. Um, so getting that invite Friday or Friday morning. I mean, I just felt that I had to get out there with the people that I grew up with, with friends that I, I've been a part of their life to vocalize a different kind of message. Um, not even going to lie either. I mean, I didn't, this was my first time being a part of a protest. I had no idea what to expect. Um, and to be quite honest, I guess I was naive because of the media's portrayal of protests. I mean, I'm not, I'd be lying if I was going to sit here and tell you I was out there unprepared. I mean, I, I was prepared for what the media shows as what happens in protests. When I got down there, it was the 1,000% opposite. These were some of the nicest people I've ever seen in my life. These are some of the most caring people I've ever been around in my life. The, this was the most cleanly protest I've ever even heard of in my life. This was the most peaceful protest I've ever even been a part of. So to have my naive preconceived notions cut down before when I was walking with these people on the front line, I mean, you start to pretty much form your own you understand the other part of the ecosystem um, that there is a small minority group that want to see the city up in flames. There is a big majority of the group that want to see justice and that want to see the right things done. Um, I think 
locally we are seeing that people are doing a great job of lending a helping hand, be it the food shelves over in South Minneapolis, be it cleaning up in North Minneapolis, South Minneapolis, and in St. Paul. I mean, those are the people that I think that I grew up knowing. Like that that's the Minnesota that I know. Um so to be to, to see that on the front lines it was great. But also, it was awful, I guess, to have those naive thoughts of what a protest is going into it. But then getting there and understanding that everyone is here is doing this with the utmost, I mean, respect, I guess, is a word I'll say. Is We were all very respectful. I mean, we had this protest. I, I know, I don't know. I, I think I read an article, and I already the media skewed this protest to something else. Like they've tried to say that part of our protest went somewhere else. I'm not even going to get into that. But um, we had police officers that were stopping traffic and helping us. We had traffic, regular people stopping their cars, saluting us. Like this was again, like that is what this protest was. Now I'd be naive thinking I in saying like I don't understand how a protest can turn to what we have now seen and what the media is portraying because at the same time we're, we're combating a lot of different things where people do have the right to voice their first they, they have the right to voice whatever they want to but they're also being met with force I mean I understand I understand it all. I, I do understand it all. But I am a person that I, I don't believe that there can be order unless everyone is acting orderly. That's how basic I think this thing is. Um, so I do understand what's going on. Um, but at the same time, that a, a, like I said, there, there's a lot of different ecosystems going on. Like we had that perfect interaction with these police officers of Minneapolis Police Department that were assisting us in escorting this protest, stopping traffic, associating themselves with the people who were riding. Like literally, we had people riding bikes, stopping traffic, but then there were police officers assisting the bike riders to stop traffic and make sure nothing happened. So there was great conversations going on in that. Um. And then to even be a part of that group and then to hear, like, you do hear the stories, but then you are understanding that, like, a lot of the underbelly of the protest, like, I, I will die on this hill and say that it is not us. Us being the people seeking the answers of freedom and justice. And you mean, um, you're saying people from Minnesota... Right. Yeah, yeah. Or I, I'm saying, I'm saying, good people, good-natured people that are out there trying to do the right thing and to protest. The people that are out there taking advantage are—they're not us. It's—it's it's not us. And you are able to see that because even in these protests, there's dynamics. There's people in suits. There's every diversity that you can see. But there is a dynamic of what we're seeing of the violent part of the protest that you can say, I, I don't know these people, and I've never seen these people. Okay. Um, so that's also another thing we're, we're battling now is, like, given how big this ecosystem is, 
we're battling a lot of different things. We're battling a pandemic right now with systematic oppression, with markets also being at an all-time high, with gentrification going on in the same areas that are protesting. Like there, there's so many different dynamics going on in this ecosystem. It's going to be unfair for anyone to make an opinion unless you're going to do something. And I guess at this point, that is the hill that I'm on, is I guess I, I'm not going to be giving my opinion too much. I'm just going to be a part of the action plan. I, I mean, because that, that's going to be what matters. I mean, no one, uh, an opinion is a crock of shit right now. Um, an opinion is literally your understanding based on where you are. Um, and given where we are right now, Maybe you have to look and say, maybe I, maybe this isn't something I, I know too much on. So let me go see. Because I think if, and again, in Minnesota, if you go down, go down to South Minneapolis, go down to university. These are all places we grow up and drive on the daily. These are not dangerous places. Go out and associate with these people. I mean, in this protest, there, I, I can't even, I'd say the number is 10 to 20, the amount of cars that are throwing water and snacks. <laughs> Water and literally water and snacks, water and snacks. People are donating, and I'm like, how, how, where are these people coming from to just donate water and snacks during a moving protest? So, people are, are, are yeah. I'm like, there's just a lot of stuff going on, and I am going to choose to be a part of these solutions rather than the bickering and the opinion pieces. And and do some work now, right? Right now, it's either put up or shut up time. It, it, it's a perfect time for us. I mean, this is the same generation that has had a lot of changes in be it political or economic. Like this is one of the biggest generations that have, we have steamrolled a lot of initiatives that I think we can either put this initiative up for defeat or we, we, we can't ignore this one here. Dude, I, I think that was well said. I'm on. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me, bro. All right, we got Trey Waynes with us today. Um, Trey, we know America's at a boiling point right now. Uh, the victimization and disregard for black life um, is upon us, and it, it's being done by people that are paid to protect the black community. Can you tell me what you're feeling right now? I would say frustration, but, you know, at the same point, you know, this has been going on for 400 plus years already. So like, I think right now everybody's just fed up because ain't shit changing. And, uh, you know, I don't feel like the people in power are making the right steps to try to fix it. I feel like they're just beating around the bush. What do you think they need to do? Honestly? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know how familiar you guys are with, you know, the, uh, the, um, the person, Jane Elliott, who is an anti-racism activist. And I mean, she said it, you know, plain as day, you know, it starts from, you know, what we, how we educate people. And I mean, basically it's, we're educating, you know, our kids, you know, our country on, you know, 
not the truth is basically a a uh, a version of what you know white Americans want us to believe of what it is. You know, it's like everything everything in the curriculum from you know first grade kindergarten to how we learn what we learn about you know our country and how it came to be is I wouldn't say it's a lie, but it's not necessarily the whole truth either and you know it's you're not born racist you know you're taught you know so i think until we change you know the education i don't really think it's going to change so because it's like you got to think like when they teach everything they don't very very rarely do they teach exactly what happened and how it happened you know what i'm saying like i never learned that shit in school yeah, we learned about slavery. We learned all this other stuff, but it was never emphasized on how bad it really was. You know, we weren't, we didn't know how bad it really was unless we learned from, you know, our parents or like an outside source. Like they never taught us that shit in school. It's all slated to make it sound, you know, better than what it really was. You know, that's that comes from education, and that's just it's a fact. You know, they don't teach us this shit. So it's like, I mean, even if you look on, if you look on the map. You know, it's that's that's wrong too, because they got all the continents, and the countries like if you look at a flat map, Greenland's three times bigger than some of the other continents, which is false. Right then and there, you're already teaching us something that's not true. So I think it starts with our education, and until that really changes, I don't think anything really will. Because like I said, it's slated to make us sound and make us believe, you know, in something false. I want to talk to you about a story of police harassment you may have had or being racially profiled and and what the situation entailed and how it changed you and how did you have to move differently after it happened for the rest of your life? Yeah, I would say the most recent was in college. Uh, you know, I was leaving one of my friends' dorms from studying. It was probably like 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And we had an exam the next morning, and I was studying. And I was riding my bike back to my apartment. And next thing I know, a squad car is getting, like, pulled up right behind me on the sidewalk. And I'm like, ain't no way they're pulling me over. Like, I'm riding my bike. So they pulled me over. And, you know, they came out questioning me. And, like, I was kind of an asshole. So I'm like, what, like I'm riding my bike. Like, what y'all doing? And they said I, like, matched the description of somebody looking through a whole bunch of cars in the parking lot. So I, I, I got an attitude, so I'm like, bro, like, I'm coming from here, you know, yada, yada, yada. They're like, well, how do we know this? I was like, I'll give you my phone and you can call them. You know, and then they, get, they started getting mad at me, like, don't be a dick. Da, da, da. I was like, well, then don't pull me over riding a fucking bike. You know what I'm saying? They said, I matched the description, of course. And then that actually happened twice on campus. Uh, then during, it was Thanksgiving break, you know, all the at like the football players, we had to stay because we had practice and shit, and everybody's gone. I literally rode my bike probably no more than three minutes across the street. Another cop pulled me over. I'm like, ain't no way. Like I had my headphones in. I was like, there's no way he's pulling me over. Nobody's on. Nobody's on campus. You feel me? And so I I kept ignoring him, and I was going. And then he like ran up on me. I'm like, fuck. Like what? Like what the fuck? He's like. You know, I pulled you over. I was like, I really have no idea. So I literally crossed a street and I was at my, my dorm. 
and he tried to say it wasn't safe that I had my headphones in while riding across the street. And I told him, I was like, well, nobody's on campus, and I was always taught to look both ways. So, like, you're just looking for a reason. Then he went on to tell me it was illegal to ride my bike on the sidewalk. And I'm like, people do it every day. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, come on now. So, I mean, I would say those are the most recent. But, you know, I've always been weary around cops just because you never know. I mean, as, you, as you've been seeing recently, they're, you know, they're fake tough guys behind a badge because they know you can't touch them. And if you do, they're going to use excessive force against you. Like, I, I, I've met good cops, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've interacted with great people that are great cops. But unfortunately, there are a few or more than a few that, you know, abuse that power. So you got to be careful about it. You know, can you talk to me a little bit more about that for the good cop? I think that's something that people should know, too, that not all of them are bad. That no, I mean bad apples. Yeah, like I honestly though, like I've never been a fan of cops. Like I just, that's just how I move. Like I don't, you know, I don't care for them just because I know what I've experienced, what I've seen. You know, I just I don't trust them. You know what I'm saying? And I've I've interacted with some that are like really cool. Like, uh, you know, in high school, you know, we've had a couple like really good ones. Uh, you know, even when I've been put, pulled over, like you know, they've been really professional. You know, stuff like that. But then you get some that just you know ruin it and it's like as an african-american you really got to be careful because you, you never know like i've seen videos of people cooperating still getting shot <laughs> you know what i'm saying so it's like i ain't like i told my wife i was like look whenever i get pulled over i'm calling you but i know she gonna pull up like fucking speed racer too because she don't trust him either and like i it sucks because it's like i was telling cutis like i gotta raise my daughter like Yo, like, watch out for cops, you feel me? Because you never know. So, I mean, it's just a defense mechanism, I guess, because I ain't, like I said, I ain't, you know, I don't trust them. But there are good ones out there. So I feel bad that they get lumped in it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, if a, if a, if a good cop's not stopping it, you know, they're just as guilty. So I agree. I agree with that. If, if they're just as guilty if they're not stopping stuff. Q, you said you've had an experience as well. With racial profiling? Yeah, I'm going to go back to an experience that I had uh, in Kenosha where me and Trey actually grew up. So it was around the time I just had got my license. And I know it was me and Peter Capelli, uh, Trey knows who that is, who were dropping off a buddy, Quanzel Murphy. And he was in the back seat. He, his phone slid out of his pocket as he was getting out the car and he went inside and then realized that he didn't have his phone. So as he's coming back outside to get his phone, a cop pulls up in front of us. I tell him, I said, Quanzel, do not reach in this car. I'm going to get out and give you your phone. But he ended up reaching in the car. The cop being in front of us automatically got suspicious, ended up getting out the car, asking us what happened. Immediately, Quanzel said I had to get my phone. He didn't believe it. He immediately searched the car. And I got put in cuffs and in the back of a cop car for them searching the car that there was nothing in. And my buddy Pete Capelli sat there and watched me. He didn't say anything to Pete. It was all me. And he was like, dude, that cop just literally racially profiled you. And I'm like, just because, you know, we're African-American, like what gives you the right to cuff us? And there's no probable cause, nor was there anything in the car. Thank God there wasn't, man. Jesus Christ. I can't even, I can't even imagine. It's crazy, man. Oh. 
I mean, it's I'm a and then that's what we have to go against. Um, you know, moving forward, do you guys do anything for like a, a mental or physical outlet for handling stuff like this? Uh, I mean, for me, uh, I got a lot of friends that are really uh, outspoken and passionate about, you know, all this stuff. So I know we separately, we have like group chats and stuff like that, that we talk about what's going on. And, you know, um, you know, they, they're, they're actually at some of the uh, marches right now. And I'll probably pull up to some in Detroit or East Lansing, but uh, I would just say just talking amongst ourselves and like making sure like, you know, we're, you know, in a place where we understand what's going on and how to handle the situation. Cause I mean, it's uh, all we got is, is us. You feel me? Cause like you said, you, you're not going to know how to handle it, you know? So, you know, we just got to talk about it amongst ourselves and figure out a solution. Beyond the education, do you think there, do you think that's the only way to lead us to true equality for American? I culture? think so because it starts when you're young. So if you, like I said, you're not born racist. And, you know, the education system that we're in, if they start teaching us falsely at an early age, that's all we're going to know. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's easier to start at like at that age rather than now when shit's really hitting the fan. But if you educate somebody the right way, not necessarily to, to see no color, but, you know, to see someone's, you know, you see someone a different color and you respect it, you know what I'm saying? Then it's a different story. But it's like if you try to start, like, like I've posted so many videos, like nothing's changed over the past, you know, 60, 30, 40, like whatever, nothing's changed. And it's because I feel like it starts at our education system. If you start teaching us at a young age, that's all we're going to know. Um, do you have something to say to people who are more upset about the rioting and the looting than they are about a man being murdered by an officer who was paid to protect I think that just shows people's true colors. Y'all more upset about a fucking target that's making billions of dollars. You know what I'm saying? That's going to see the money back. And like I just, like I said, like people that just try to throw that shit out there is just making excuses to try to justify what happened. But it's not. And it's like, it's crazy because you see people, many African-Americans, like I see many of them videotaping white people doing the vandalism, but they just want to say it's us. And it's like, there's video footage of like literally african-americans videoing telling people to stop doing it but it's like the white people starting this shit so i'm like well, that's crazy but no one's gonna say nothing about that though you know what i'm saying so it's just yeah i don't know it's i don't feel like anything will really change just because of like i said what our education system's doing and you know, who we who we got leading our country and all that kind of stuff. Like, I'm not saying just Donald Trump, but I'm just saying, like, overall, like, like what's it going to take, you feel me? Because people say, oh, peaceful protests, like, that didn't do shit. You know, we get ridiculed for doing that, and then this shit happens, and now it's like, oh, well, y'all now y'all got to do peaceful. It's like, what y'all want us to do, you feel me? And it's like, it's crazy because it's not just the U.S. that's protesting now. You got people in London protesting. You got people in Afghanistan protesting. So it's like, what's it going to take for, you know, this country or the world to realize what's actually going on? But like I said, I don't think it's going to happen unless we start educating society on the actual truth rather than what they just, what white America wants us to believe what happened. 
in you know just moments ago because reality is white people <laughs> they're immigrants too like they're not even from this motherfucker so it's like you know but like they don't teach the truth about that either they just say oh columbus came here and explored it and da 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 they didn't tell them all the you know fucked up shit columbus did yeah like i never heard one bad thing about columbus motherfucker yeah. was horrible yeah all they teach us is oh he came here and discovered this like that ain't the truth Point blank like, period. The like they teach us lies off the jump, yeah. so it's like it's not gonna get fixed until that gets fixed. And moments ago, before we started this recording, actually, there's twenty thousand plus people peacefully protesting on the bridge out here, and uh, a semi came barreling into them. And luckily, I, I don't know if anybody got hurt or not, but I think they beat the shit out of that that bus driver. But it, it, even if you're doing, trying to do the right thing, trying to send the right message, you have stuff like that happening. What do you even do? Like I said, but the thing is, nothing would happen to him anyways. <laughs> he'd get a he get a slap on the wrist. So it's like, I don't know. It's like it, you know how it goes. I'm sorry this is going on, man. I appreciate you coming on here to tell us your thoughts. And uh, hopefully this will spark the minds that will make change. Mm-hmm. I said what I said. I don't think it will happen. All right, we have Joe Keels here with us today. Um, you know, Joe, obviously America's at a boiling point right now. Um, the victimization and the disregard for black life can't be tolerated, especially by people that are paid to protect the black community. Um, how are you feeling right now? I feel like more than anything, I'm feeling like let down just because uh, I have a son as well, you know? And so the scary part is right now, how at three years old, how much he, is, he obsesses over, you know, cop cars, different things like, like that, where it's like, what, what, at what point do I have to break the truth to him? Like all of them may not be bad, but for the most part, you got to react cautiously on every interaction you have with you can't we lost you, Joe. approach one too fast. You can't just go run up to the car because you think it's a cool cop car. You lost him. You still, you got yeah, yeah, yeah. You came right back. It was talking about uh, you can't approach a cop car. Yeah, so it's just like, like I seen the sign today while I was uh, reading, um, and it was on social media, and the, the kids say, when do I, the little black kids say, when do I go from uh, cute to scary? And so it's like, that's the fear um, is having a son. So I would say that's my biggest takeaway. And then for me, just traveling for work. You know, I travel for work a lot, and the main issue is, like, I sometimes, you know, athletes are in, sometimes are from small towns. So I may not be familiar in that town. You know, they can tell that those are rental plates. So it was like, all it takes from the look of it is a cop to be having a bad day. And it doesn't matter what I say. And then it's just to feel like Brianna Taylor out of uh, Memphis where she's sleeping, and she gets murdered. And it's like, they say mistaken identity. The guy who they were looking for was already in, in, in custody. So it was like, where am I safe at? So that's that's the main the sad part and the fear for me, just because you know my story. Um, when I moved up to Wisconsin, it was for me, it was kind of like, all right, I escaped the environment I was in. And so I never got to worry about that again. If I stayed on the path of hanging out with Q, Gino, J.O., Melvin, everybody else that was living a successful life. But now it's like, as I get older and I see, it's like, well, dang, I can still be murdered. Not even when I technically thought I escaped. And so that's the fear for me. 
Have you had a, a a story when police have harassed you or you've been racially profiled? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I came back home. So when I first, so when I first came back home from uh, college, um, I would say one of the first times. First time I came back home after I got to Nebraska. I came back home. I'm driving, and um, I don't have. So I don't have my ID. I lose my ID. So I'm coming back home strictly to get an ID, and um, get pulled over, and kind of the cops say, you know, it's me and my lady in the car. Cops say, uh, and my nephew's in the back. Cops say, um, who car is this? I'm like, it's her people, it's her pops. He go over and ask her, the other cop go over and ask her, like, you safe? Like, you sure? Like, is this really, you know what I'm saying? Are you supposed to be with So he like, can I see your ID? I'm like, yo, sir, I don't got my ID. I came back home to get it. I lost it while at school. Uh, explaining the whole situation, breaking everything down. He like, can you get out the car? I'm like, yeah, no problem. At the time, I'm like, why I get out the car? So I'm like, my speed? He like, yeah. You was going 49 or 45. All right. Well, you know what I'm saying? Okay. So then he gets looking at my tattoos like, you in the gang? And I'm in Pleasant Prairie. So I'm like, nah, what are you talking about? I'm coming home from school. Like, you feel me? Like, literally, I'm on my way from the airport to go to the crib. Like, well, I don't know you. I'm like, well, sir, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can, you can Google my name so you can validate I am who I say I am. Or, you know, I can follow you to the station, whatever you need to do. but. I'm in town to get my ID. I sit out there for like an hour, like an hour and a half. My nephew on the back seat, he fired every time he's balling, thinking like his uncle about to go to jail. Like it was just, it was a crazy situation where I know for a fact, you know, because I've been in the car with other guys who are were different races, who that same situation happened, and they just say, all right, don't let it happen again, and we go about our day. So it's like, you know, instantly because of my skin tone and, you know, I am a little rough around the edges, but at the same time, I've always respected people. And so it's just like that right there, you know, was the instance. And since then, I operate cars. It's like, I don't speed on the highway. You know what I'm saying? I drove down here. Like, I don't speed on the highway for the point of fact of, I don't want to get pulled over in the middle of nowhere. I don't want to give them the reason to pull me over. I don't go for five over on the highway. I drive the speed limit. Just because it's the fear. It's not because I don't want to get there. It's because it's the fear that I don't want to get pulled out because I don't know where I'm at at all times. You know? So, yeah, that was my little situation. This is one of the drastic ones, but it was one where it kind of, I would say, it woke me up a lot. So you moved differently throughout your life moving forward since that moment? Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. And emotionally and mentally, how do you handle situations like that moving forward um, to confront your fears and your feelings? from stuff like that? I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, bro. I really don't know how to, you know, because it's not like, it's nothing really I can do. Um, just because what I would want to, like, it's not even what I would want to do, but what I would usually do is take the situation in my hands, but at the same time, I know that's, you know what I mean? I can't do that. And so, I know they tell you, like, you know, just take it to court and fight them, but you take it to court, you shoot a cop and you win, or you shoot a police department, you win, and you live in that city still, you think it's over then? You know what I'm saying? Now you got a bigger target on your back. Now they want to find something because now they hate you because you done made them look crazy on national media now because that's going to go that's gonna go national. You know? So it's like, that's one of the fears that I've never been able to stomach or been able to, you know, get over because I don't think there's no way that you can. You know, as a, as a black man, I feel like from the time I can remember, you know, it was frowned upon to play cops and robbers because 
like my like my mom used to say, they gonna be chasing you like that for real, boy. And sometimes it ain't because you ain't did nothing wrong, you know? And so I feel like until we address how the basically police was started and make some changes in inside the constitution to the wording of certain things of how people can be convicted and things that they can do. I feel like, you know, I'll never be able to stomach that fear because for somebody to be able to shoot to kill if they feel threatened, I'm saying, I'm 6'4", 265, you'll be threatened by me just walking up to you. That mean I got to lose my life? So it's like, I don't think I'll ever be able to stomach the fear, bro. My main thing is, if I ain't got to be on the road or I ain't got to interact with police, I try to stay away from it. I never follow. Just put it like that. Like, unless it's something like my car stolen, but if it's, a, if it's an incident going on right in front of me, I never follow because I don't want to be mistaken. No, that, I don't want to be seen as, a, as the offender. So I never call. Is that your advice to just not interact with them? Yeah, I try to say like the most. So I would say don't interact, but at the same time, I feel like you got to be extremely cautious. You got to be extremely cautious because there's some great ones out there, you know. It's some real good ones. Like uh, Q, what was the one name that was at Bradford? Was it Garza? Garza was one of them. Um, it was another one. It was another one. White guy that was super cool. Yeah, so it was like them. They, you know what I'm saying? So it was like I would say don't interact because you got guys like that who were extremely cool who would put me on games. When I moved up to Kenosha, I didn't know nothing about a truancy. He's like, nah, don't be skipping. He called me skipping class. I'm not going to be skipping class. We give out tickets up here. Oh, shit, let me take my ass back to class. So it was like things like that where I feel like you can't avoid all of them because you got some good ones who really look out and help you. And some situations ain't going to speak on, but he man, they looked out for me a lot. So it's like, I don't say avoid all of them, but I feel like you got to be extremely cautious. And I feel like it needs to be a lot more community policing, whereas, you know what I'm saying, people who are familiar with the area, you know, and I can say until it's something like that, it's going to be tough, bro. I feel like I don't really see a chance, a chance of change if that's not fixed. I definitely feel like there has to be some type of variance between the the situation. Like, yeah. yeah, there's a time and a place to interact with them, but there's also more of a time and a place to not. Exactly. Exactly. 100%. And I was always told to always think of police as not being your friend. That they're, yeah. that they're doing a job. And to, if they're telling you something... Just listen. That's what yeah. I've been told. And it, it, it's different because clearly that that poor man, he was listening. And it still yeah, didn't go the right way for him. So, I mean. Yeah, that's the scary part, bro. You got, pull, you got you put him in a car, right? You got the handcuffs on him. You're a threat to your cuffs. Once you get him in cuffs, you put him in a police car. Why take him back out unless you let him go? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to put me in a police car, don't take me out unless you let me go. Don't, don't put me back on the ground like you feel what I'm saying so it's like and that's the thing like that's what that's what don't sit well with me because it's like okay this this is my approach on it right so I try to look at every coin from both sides let's say hypothetically right let's say the person let's say he had a gun or he did this he did that all that's cool but guess what once you get him in cuffs and you got him in the car the situation seized you see what I'm saying he's under arrest so why take him out the car to put him in duress and put your knee on his neck like that under an exhaust pipe? Yeah. Like, come on, bro. Like, that don't make, like, I don't feel like nobody can make that make logical sense. For me, the hardest thing for me to understand or grasp about the situation is we're talking about an alleged fake $10 or $20 bill. 
and and that's that's how you're treated over that like the, first of all there, nobody went to go see if that's a true story or not and then i see people who are walking into to walmarts or a church with ak-47s or whatever it ha- whatever the hell it is ar-15s and just yeah. mowing down people and they're coming out in in bulletproof vests cuff yeah. no words on them that's no. the thing i don't understand and the images i, d- I just don't get yeah, and I approached my um, approached one of my buddies came and said to me, "A white dude." He said, "He said, I would I would love to see that ambulance video." They say he didn't die there, right? So let's see what happened inside the ambulance. Yeah, if he didn't die. If he wasn't dead there, well, let's see the let's see you trying to resuscitate him in the ambulance on his way to the hospital. Since he died of underlying conditions, let's see that. Release that video, but we'll never see it. Man, that. That man was dead when he got put on you know that journey. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, it's a, it's a crazy thing, bro. Um, I wanted to ask you if you got any physical or mental outlets for handling situations like this. I would say the main thing, um, physical, I try to, you know, try to work out. I mean, I try to work out as much as possible. And the other thing I would say, mental is this. Uh, I just started trying to meditate a little bit. It's hard, it's hard when you got a lot on your mind, so try to like meditate a little bit, reading. I feel like reading's been a good thing for me uh, just because it allows myself to get out that environment for a second and be able to, you know what I mean, to, to craft a movie or, or a fictional, you know what I mean, world inside my head as I flow through the pages and understand, like I'm saying, to read the book so I can paint my own picture. But other than that, bro, the sad part is just like, I, I would, my advice people there, don't try to get away from it, bro. Understand what you're going through. And once you understand what you're going through, you know you understand how to deal with it. But if you try to get away from it, you will never um, you never know how to deal with it. And the way you confront a problem is you understand it first and you admit that it is a problem. And then after that, I feel like I I don't people are like people are say different well, if you don't if you don't do this, you don't have to interact with it's like, but that ain't the truth. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like that ain't the truth at all. So I think the main thing, bro, is just Try to find a little outlet, like you said, but the main, but the most important part, bro, deal with, understand what you're dealing with, uh, learn like your rights, and at the end of the day, if it ain't worth, if it ain't worth it, well, let them have it. You know I'm saying if it's speed ticking, you know you're speeding, don't argue like see the speedometer, just let them have it. All right, bet, thank you. Be gone. Don't even ask shit else. You know I'm saying uh, main thing. That's I would say that's my main thing. Like. If you know you was doing something, even if even if it was only two miles per hour over and they said you were speed, let it go, bro. Get home. You know what I'm you got people waiting for you. Get home. Bro. That's the main thing. For the whole part of, I wish they changed the narrative of don't fight them in the street, fight them in court. Shit don't work. You know what I'm saying? Police, judge, juries, ambulance, all that, they tied together. You know what I'm so you already you already in a losing losing team. So if you beat them, you think they gonna feel some type of way? If I come and beat you up in your house in front of your wife, you think you gonna just let me walk down the street and come deliver your pizza the next day? That ain't gonna happen. <laughs> it ain't gonna happen. It's embarrassing. You know what I'm saying? What do you think needs to be done and or changed in American culture for there to be true equality? Uh, I seen a great tweet. I said the first thing is start meditation at a young age. Meditation in schools. Um, I think the next thing is uh, 
uh, you got you got places in America still like Gap, like Galveston, Texas, that's still basically segregated. You know, so I feel like you got to really dive into like small towns and towns across the America and really uh, kind of like implement that change from young. And then two, I would say more community police. Uh, the trouble kid that seems like a trouble kid growing up, somebody need to grab him. Grab him and tell him, hey, you don't want to be here, right? No, I don't want to be here. I bet this is what you want to do. Put you on this path. So now you come back to help him. So now you didn't grow up with Ronnie who kept getting in trouble. So you know where he goes. So you know he don't got no mom and dad. So like that. So you, now you can talk to him, help him get out of that situation. Versus, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, oh, he a bad kid or he this, he that. So it's like, I would say community posting three. I think it just, we got a pride, like the prosecution of the officers. Why not? Come on, bro. You know, you're going to get, let's say you get a manslaughter or a third degree murder. You know, it's like, at the end of the day, you get that as a, as a cop. You're in there with guards. Those are your fellow brothers. Nine times out of ten, you're probably not going to get sentenced. And if you do, you probably you probably ain't going to do 50% of the sentence. So it's like, it's no fear in it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's no fear. It's no fear for them in the consequence. So if it's no consequence, we're going to do what we want. And that's how they operate. It's no consequence. We're going to do what we want. The black dude, if I'm not mistaken, um, the, the Somalian who killed the white woman, Oh, I'm mistaken. He got like he got like he got like real time. Twelve years. You know what I'm saying? Which I, twelve years? That's still not enough time. That's and crazy. That's still, you you feel me? That's still not enough. Like you got yeah. you got twelve years for killing somebody. So it ain't like like it's a it's white cop, but I feel like it's a like what they say the blue wall. Yeah. Like whatever that shit is, I feel like they gotta change that, bro. It gotta be it gotta be a prosecutor. And I, God willing, the prosecutor that I'm speaking of is in college right now somewhere who going to have the nuts to say, you know what, fuck that. I'm going into it. I'm going to charge you with murder. First degree. I don't care. I don't care if I lose my reputation or whatever. I'm going I'm going to have the balls or whatever it takes to try you for it. But the thing is, the prosecutors or the defense attorneys or the public defenders usually want to get up to the DA. So they're going to side with the cop and try to get them off or try to get lesser charges and different things like that. That's the corruption that we got to fix. You know what I'm saying? It's the it's institutional. And it's like going back to that. It's going back to the, to the um, it's going back and trying to change like the wording in a lot of laws. You know, like you got to think where the police came from. Like, and I think my thing is, I think there's some great police out there. Uh, I've witnessed them firsthand, but at the same time, for the ones who feel invincible, they feel invincible because they know how the laws read. Yeah. So I feel like to change that, you got to change how some of those laws read. And until then, it don't it don't matter which done. You know what I'm saying? If you if I got if I got a law where I can kill you right now because I don't like you, I'm having a bad day, and I make it's a, it's a sixty percent chance I get off. And if I don't get off, I get twelve years. I'm taking that every day of the week. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, and those are the ones that we see and know of. How many, how many, how many quote unquote bodies you think that went missing that we just never heard of? You know what I'm saying? So that's the like they was they was created to catch slaves, and you got to change that language. That language was never changed. So it's like, Will Smith just, oh my bad, I didn't mean to cut you, you off. No, you good, you good. I know Will Smith just tweeted out a thing saying. Racism 
did not just come just now being videotaped. You, you feel me? You know what I'm saying? Think about your parents or our parents that they have. You got to realize, like, when segregation is. You got to realize when slavery is. Like, it's just a lot of things where, imagine if they had cameras back then to record that. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then it's just, what, what frustrates me is I keep seeing a bunch of people preach, oh, well, Martin Luther King didn't loot and riot. I'm not for looting at all. But at the same time, I don't care. If this is what's going to cite change, then that's what needs to happen. Oh, well, it's not. You're talking about it right now. I've never seen you speak on it. So, therefore, it's, it's doing something. You see what I'm saying? So, it's like, that's the thing. Uh, that's that's the thing. Like, you can't quote Martin Luther King where if you go to his later days, he says it. Like, it was a, it's a, it's a quote um, where he talks about that. Like, yo, we go for looting and we go for basically crimes committed. At the end of the day, the criminal is going to be the white man. Not the people who riot for a few days. Like, these black shows just like, end of the day, bro, they got to make a change and we need our president, uh, a president, we basically ain't got one right now who's going to actually make the change and really uh, remove some of those restraints and basically cages he put police officers in so they can't be charged regularly or they can't be convicted at a mass scale, uh, things like that, because it's just sad, bro. The justice system is broken. And it's, I hate to say it because it's just like a, it's like a, a reoccurring thing. But it's like, what else? Like, what else can you say? Like, do I think it changes? Probably not, bro. Do I want it to change? Yeah. Do I think it gets better? I hope. You know, I can see like our generation is more open. Um, but. It's tough when you got races raising races at some point. A lot of people don't want to disappoint their parents. So they rather just not having the pen, therefore making you side on that side, than breaking the cycle. So that's the that's the part where I feel like it may not make a change. Silence is pro-racism. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I feel like, yeah, that's the part I feel like it probably won't change. Joe, I really appreciate you coming on and, and telling us your opinion and and giving us your narrative that you want to be, you know, heard. So thank you. I appreciate you, boss. I pre- All right, Q. Yeah, appreciate it, man. All right, I got Dawson Garcia with us today. Uh, you know, it, it's like I was just saying, I, I'm really sad that this is how I had to get you back on the show. This is not my intentions of as to why I wanted to get you back on the show. I never thought in a million years we'd be talking about something so sad happening in Minnesota where we're from. So for sure. Sad times for sure. I I know that you wanted to give a statement um, in support for the George Floyd, you know, murder and, and standing by them for you know no justice, no peace. So I'll let you have yeah. the floor. Yeah, I just want to um, say first off, you know, my um, my heart and my prayers go out to um, the whole George Floyd family, and you know everyone that's um, been dealing with racism as long as like. It's been around for a long time, and um, enough. And it gets to it's gotten to a point where enough is enough, and um, change needs to happen. And every everybody needs to um, um, understand that racism is a thing, um, because that's kind of become the new racism. People not like people just downplaying it, and not thinking it's an issue um, to this day. And you know, it's just a, it's a really sad sad time. Um, anybody anybody that's watched that video. Um, and is compl- and is complaining um, 
more about um, the protests and all that than um, the injustice that George and I mean his whole family and everyone that's um, been involved in it um, has had to endure is just they're they're out of pocket and um, it's just uh, I'm I'm kind of at a loss for words in the whole situation. Um, everyone just needs to um, stand together and unite and um, keep fighting for what's right because um, that's the only way that at the end of the day um, justice will be served. I, I couldn't agree more, man. I, I really appreciate you coming on here and, and giving your statement and letting us know how you feel. I appreciate you. Yeah, for sure, man. Hope you're staying safe. You too. Stay safe. We have Trevor and Bakwe with us today. We've reached a boiling point in America. The victimization and disregard for black life has been absurd. Um, people are looking for accountability for the police officers. And, and why is black life being valued less than the loss of property? How are you feeling with all this, Trevor? Uh, for me, it's just been a lot of emotions, you know, uh, lots of sleepless nights, lots of, you know, angry conversations with me, you know, peers and people around who understand the situation. Uh, you know, it's brought back a lot of memories and stuff that I kind of forgot about, you know, as a child, just growing up, dealing with the police, having my interactions with them, and it's just through time, it's like, it's something that kind of sticks with me for a long time. You know, unfortunately, these people who, you know, who are here to protect us and keep the, you know, our community safe, and then for all, for whatever reasons, all the, you know, all over the country, just, you see these, you know, police shootings and innocent people, bystanders who, you know, I've lost their lives to people who are supposed to be protecting us. And it's unfortunate. Um, it's sad to see the divide amongst people still going on now. And, you know, people just not liking people because of the color of their skin or fulfilled that threat that they feel. And, you know, it's sad, but, you know, um, it's been good, us, you know, to see everybody come together, you know, see people who have the, the platforms come and speak on these issues. And, you know, it's not comfortable, but, you know, these conversations that we have to have if we want to change the way we, you know, interact with one another and, you know, the connect the, the connection that we can have uh, as a, as a, a country. So um, it was, it was, it was beautiful seeing everybody come together yesterday. You know, unfortunately the, you know, peaceful protest ended the way it did with, you know, an asshole coming in and doing something, doing what he did. And that was unfortunate because it was really a beautiful day, great energy. Um, you know, it, it was the best I felt in the community in a long time. So it was unfortunate that the day ended the way it did. And, and you're referring to that truck driver who came in full speed, almost killing thousands. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And just watching it. From the, from the angle that I had, we you know, with my four-year-old on my neck and seeing everybody fleeing and just, just like, it was a, a surreal experience. And I know a lot of people who were on the bridge at the time. And, you know, luckily, last minute, I decided not to go on the highway with my daughter and, uh, and the people I was with. And, you know, but it's it's something that, you know, I can never imagine, you know, being a part of or seeing in person. Can you tell me about some of the other positive things you've seen the community do during this, you know, coming together, cleaning up? Yeah, um, yeah, it's been nice to see, you know, obviously, just, you know, parts of the city were burnt down and the issues that were going on earlier in the week. So, you know, just seeing so many people, you know, reach out, 
just get involved or help as much as they could, even if it's, you know, just picking up glass on the street or trash or whatever that is. It's like, that's what communities are for, you know, to come together and stressful times like that. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, fortunately, you know, just bad press, you know, just the media creates narratives and, you know, there's, you have your people who decide they want to take actions differently than, you know, a lot of other people. And that kind of becomes the story rather than the communities being at peace and, you know, just wanting the right thing to be doing, which is justice, you know, for George Floyd. I want to ask you some uncomfortable questions. You know, have you, have you, tell us a story that you've had with either being racially profiled or police harassment. Tell you a story. (laughs) You know, I'm looking to see what event changed you in your life and what kind of conversations you were having with your family to help you navigate through your life. Did you have to move differently after these experiences? Yeah, I remember there's two that stick out earlier on. I was like six or seven. I remember the police raided my house looking for, they they raided the wrong house. So it was like four o'clock in the morning. I had just moved to my mom's room for whatever reason, you know, young kid. And then, you know, had a whole bunch of SWAT team members plus through our door. And it was like, you know, aggressive. And then later on, you know, it was the wrong house. And then when I was 12, I had a, as first time, like real interaction, that's when the cop, me and my couple of my friends' cousins were at the playground. You know, like eight, nine o'clock, it's getting dark, right on curfew, and some cops ran up on us. So it was like, oh, you guys fit the build of, you know, some some robberies are going on in the area, and they, you know, pointing a gun at me. And I was like, that's like, I was like the scared moment of my life, you know, having a gun. And like, you know, I'm 12 years old, and like, you know, I, obviously I was bigger than, you know, I looked in. So, you know, to them, they thought I was probably 18 or whatever, but still at that point, it's like, it's a young age and they kind of stuck with me forever. So like, obviously I've had positive interactions with cops. So I'm not one of those people like, oh, every, all cops are bad. Unfortunately, there's, you know, that percentage of them who are, you know, corrupt and, you know, behave the way they do, which is unfortunate. But I mean, like that, being at 12, back, and then for me, especially because now my son's 12. So it's like, it's always that constant battle. It's like, you know, how, you know, just that you never when you send them out for the first time like you know you kind of have that as a parent now you're like oh i just hope you know that there's no issues like getting back safely and that's you know the last thing you ever want to do as a parent or just family member peers like have to get that message or phone call that so many people have had to get over the years by loved ones or people that they know what kind of conversation did you have with your mom after those experiences uh just hard, you know, it's hard to process. I mean, obviously she explained it as like, you know, how just how this being a black individual in the world, and you know, as at that age, you're innocent. So you kind of, you know, pick up on things like that, but you really don't understand it. And then you you don't you don't really process it, I don't think, until you get older. And as I got older and start having more interactions to stuff like that, it's like that's when you start, you know, figuring out like regardless of your situation, you know, we live in the suburbs, like or whatever, like city, like you're you know, now, like, you know, regardless of how much money you have or how nice your house is or how, you know, well you dress, there's still going to be those individuals who just look at you because your color and feel a certain type of way. What do you think needs to be done in America for there to be true equality? Uh... That's tough one. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I think, like, that's a conversation we have. I think there's, like, not a real answer. So, like, figure it out because obviously you're just always going to have your people who just have these thoughts who grew up in this that mindset and just kind of carry on like the, the path of what you know their parents their parents their grandparents those their lives growing up but 
I think the big thing for me is kind of like, you know, a lot of these people who are protesting and saying the stuff now are, you know, a good portion of them are the same ones say, hey, my vote doesn't count or, you know, what does my vote do this, man? You mean these situations happen. And it's like, you have the Trumps of the world who are like, you know, the way your president is the president because a lot of you guys don't show up and vote and do those right things in our, you know, our local leadership. And obviously they have been better in the last couple of days than they were initially when this all started, which was disappointing, you know, seeing like, it's like the city's burning and you know where's our governor at? where's the mayor at you know where are these guys at we're not hearing from them man you know all you do is see them you know fry you saw them on the national media when the downtown you know precincts were getting blown up it's like how is that helping us but i think the big thing is for sure people coming out and voting in november trying to hopefully get what quote unquote the right people in office and i think that's the start and then just just continue to have these conversations and good friend like dame damian johnson he kind of puts them together too like like potentially talking about like kind of getting kids out of the suburbs into cities and kind of like getting a mix and mixing those families up because he had a, th- a great thread on Facebook or on Twitter talking about like for a lot of white people like was last time was the first time you had an interaction with a black or a black African American or something like that and it was crazy like a lot of you know people were saying yeah 16 17 years old and it's like you know you're 16 17 years old without having like a real conversation with somebody from the opposite uh, races it's it's, it's it's interesting, and that's just, it's just kind of bringing awareness and connecting people. I think they were all the same, and like it's 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 just you know it's still sad that same sex marriage and like you know people like we're still having these issues that you know that we shouldn't be having. And the day we all equal, regardless of you know who you're attracted to, what sex you are, all of this stuff. That there's so many issues that shouldn't be a problem anymore. You know, it's 2020. Like if you we should, who are we to tell you how you should live your life? Or it's none you, of their business. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, you should have to come out and say that you're gay, or you should have to come out and say, like, you know, women should get equal pay or all the other stuff. It's just like, those things, at what point do those things just become the norm? And just like, which it should be, it's, it's my, it blows my mind that we still have these conversations and people still have the mindsets that they have. Another question I want to ask, what do you have to say to people who are more upset about rioting and looting than about a man being murdered by an officer who was paid to protect him? <laughs> to me, it's showing a lot of, you know, their true colors, you know, like, I've had this conversation with, you know, quite a few white people or, you know, people are opposite race, and I'm just like, but the communities are getting burned down. It's like, yeah, I don't, I'm never going to be an advocate of violence, and, like, that's not the thing. Um, obviously, like, some of it, some of it was just the wrong people just being involved. Like you know, there's no point in break, breaking out a small business who's already struggling with the COVID and stuff going on. But people just been so more like, oh, the city's burned down rather than the actual issues that are going on. And those are the ones that you know need awareness and and hopefully if they take the time to listen to what people say, listen to the actual picture of what people are trying to get across when it comes to justice and equality amongst everybody and get out of their bubble. Just like yeah, it sucks the city. This is our community. This is our city. We want to build it up, not tear it down, but that can't be. If that's your focal point, then you just you just don't understand it, and you're just kind of stuck in your own bubble rather than trying to at least you know take a step back and realize the bigger picture, the targets and all those stuff that that can be built back up. <laughs> those situations are going to be fine, but you can't come back and you can't. George Floyd won't get his life back, and that's the issue itself. I agree. Thank you, Trevor, for your time, man. We really appreciate you hopping on and discussing this with us. All right, thank you.
We got Marcus Alapata here with us today. And, and Marcus, you were front lines. You've been out cleaning the city back up. You were out on the bridge when that semi came through. Um, you know, the, the, the disregard for black life in American society is absurd and it's something that shouldn't be tolerated. I want to know how you're feeling, what you were experiencing when you were out there. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I could sit here and talk to you days about, you know, what kind of went on, but it was, um, you know, very peaceful protests. We had a lot of, you know, athletes to women, to children, to, you know, guys, girls of all different races and, um, you know, peacefully protesting. And we did one on Friday, you know, and started off with a bunch of athletes, you know, and we were like, we should do another one. Um, and then, you know, obviously the Sunday one came out and, you know, it was very peaceful up until that point. Um, you know, we were sitting on the bridge and I was actually on the median and I was right behind Royce and as Royce was getting ready to talk to the crowd, we had Mayor um, Fry come in as well to come speak. Um, but right before all that happened, uh, we just, you know, like I said, I, we see this big semi coming and, you know, just guiding and gliding through, you know, not stopping, um, you know, and, and it was, for me, it, it was shock initially. And then right after it turned to, um, sort of a panic mode in a sense, because my had my younger sister there. And so my first initial thought was like, get her, get her to safety, get her and her friends to safety. And, um, you know, and that happened, there was just chaos going on. You, you know, you're hearing things, you know, people screaming, people crying, um, you know, thank God the protesters, you know, went and stopped him and, you know, all this stuff kind of took care of itself, but, you know, he could have hurt a lot of people, you know, for people trying to show a different image of what's going on in Minneapolis other than people looting, you know, putting things on fire. How do you feel about the media portray about the looting and the rioting and taking away from the message of George Floyd? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think when you get into those things, people, you know, we live in a society where, you know, negative stuff gets a lot more attention than, you know, the positive thing. So people are going to tune more into, you know, people burning on fire than, you know, people sitting there trying to protest something, you know, like what we're trying to do and for equal rights. And so, Yes, it's tough because um, obviously playing basketball and stuff, especially overseas, you know, you're, I'm not just speaking to people in America. A lot of people who follow me and, you know, look at, you know, what's going on right now, they are from different countries and all they see on the news is, you know, Minneapolis is on fire, which there's, you know, definitely parts that are and people are affected by this. But I think, um, there is a lot of good happening as well that isn't being shown as much. You know, like we said, we had, you know, 10,000 people, our first walk, um, no, no arrests, no fights, um, you know, peaceful protesting, you know, and we tried to do the same thing, um, you know, but the media wants to cover the, the part where um, the semi truck comes in and almost kills everyone instead of, you know, us going out there and, you know, showing that, we had so many different people, like I said, backgrounds, ethnicities um, out there, you know, protesting in peace. You know, I know you've had good experience with police and bad experiences with police. I want to know if you've had or to talk to us about some of the bad, you know, if you've been racially profiled. Have you had any police harassment in your life? 
yeah, I think, uh, you know, coming from a biracial background, um, I tend to get classified as, um, you know, a minority and I am a minority, but um, it's one of those things that you don't expect to happen to you. Cause obviously, you know, my mom being um, a Caucasian woman, you know, it, you don't expect things like that to happen, but um, you know, different groups you're around, you get associated with different things and, yeah, I've had, you know, different experiences. Like I said, I, um, you know, I've had times where I've gone in with, you know, my you know, white friends into places and um, been totally fine, have no, no police, no small security, nothing following us, you know, even though, you know, some of those kids might have been doing more than what the other kids were doing um, who were of color um, when it came to things. And I've been in situations where, um, we've been peacefully minding our own business, you know, when I've been uh, with a group of primarily, you know, people of color and, you know, we tend to get harassed, followed by mall security, um, you know, pulled over, um, you know, question, things like that, that, you know, not let go, I guess, you know, giving tickets when in other times the same situation happened and I got let go with people who were white, you know, so there's a lot of different things that go on and um and i think the narrative just needs to change about you know us being separate races and you know it should just all be where we're the same people you know some people just you know evolve differently you know but we all come from you know we're all humans so at the end of the day we have to be the ones that make that change so what do you think needs to be done in america to tr to create true equality I think comes to true equality, I think people just, like I said, need to look at themselves and realize that there's no white, black, blue um, between everybody. It's we're all the same. Um, you know, we're all equal. And at the end of the day, you know, people put on their pants the same way. People put on their shoes the same way. Um, you know, we wake up, you know, we all have families, you know, we've all been through hardships, you know, some do a different degree than others, but at the end of the day, we're all the same, you know, and, and if we can come to understand that, I think, you know, that's when we start moving forward. But the minute we start pinning people against one another, um, you know, because of their race, I think that's when you start to see the divide, you know, you need to, you know, it's like, there's a whole bunch of police out there who are good, you know, there's also, you know, but there's obviously stuff happened where it changed, you know, the perspective. And there's obviously been a lot of, you know, incidences in the past that police have not been doing the right thing. But at the end of the day, there are good police out there. Just like there are people out there that do the wrong thing, that get classified as, you know, guys that are, that are doing the wrong thing and you get classified with them. So, it, like I said, it all varies. And I think once you start assuming that, you know, just because somebody looks or acts or talks a certain way that they are that way, I think that's when we start moving forward. I love it. Thank you so much, Marcus. I appreciate you coming on and speaking, you know, your truth. We got Jordan Taylor with us today. Uh, America's at a boiling point. The victimization and disregard for black life cannot be tolerated. Um, the messages seem to be somewhat lost in media. Um, they're, they're talking more about the rioters and the looters than they are about a black man that lost his life to a man who is supposed to be protecting, who's paid to protect him. Uh, I want to know what you're feeling right now, what you're seeing. You've been on ground level. Um, talk to us. 
time. I mean, obviously, the media has uh, definitely hijacked the, the message, but I think, you know, other people have allowed it to happen, the message to be hijacked. But, I mean, let's just, that's something completely different right now. It's just kind of, it's kind of, there's the, actually first time I ever really felt fear, like in Minneapolis, just with everything going on, you don't know who to leave. And honestly, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of anger, obviously. It's same, a lot of the same stuff keep happening. You see a lot of people belittling the same stuff happen based on numbers. Um, saying, oh, well, only the percent, throwing out percentages, uh, but it shouldn't happen at all. But, uh, so, I mean, it's just a lot of fear, uh, I guess, anger and frustration, but also, um, you know, it's just some, there's some moments where you, you get, I guess you see hope or you have, you're happy, you're optimistic just because there are still a lot of good people um, that want to help other people. So, I've seen that as well. You know, would you, you were on the bridge, right, when the semi came through? Yeah, I was at the southernmost point. I was at the southernmost point of the northbound side where the truck was coming from. So I kind of seen it first, and one of the first people to see it. And uh, yeah, and I just kind of seen it coming, saw it coming, and I uh, turned around, uh, jumped up on the barrier, started screaming for other people to move, and it was a kind of like a slow motion. It felt like your, your stomach just kind of heart fell into your stomach because I thought, you know, I thought I was about to watch 300 people die. Um, I don't know what dude's thing was. He sped up when he got closer to us. You know, it looked like slowed down at the end. Um, so I don't I don't know what that was all about. Um, I do, but I don't. <laughs> I don't know if he had second thoughts or whatever, but it was kind of crazy. Very crazy. You know, I've talked to Armand. Supposedly, that guy's phone was taken and read in front of First Ave or U.S. Bank or, or something like that, saying that he was premeditating that. Um, have you guys figured out who has the phone to get it to the right hands? I mean, I don't know who the right hands are, but, um, yeah, it's, it did look like it was premeditated. The texts were on Twitter. I don't know who has it. I don't know who exactly the right hands would be to have it. I wonder if George Floyd's lawyer would be a good person to get in contact with whoever has the phone. I mean, George, I don't, I don't yeah, I don't know what George Floyd's lawyer, maybe, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't have the phone. I don't know who has it. So, probably, but, uh, yeah, that's, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about um, the police came in and started spraying, you know, the pepper spray and the rubber bullets at the peaceful protesters. And obviously there are some people very angry and trying to hurt that man, but there's obviously some people trying to not hurt him and somewhat protect him and hand him off to the police. Can you talk about that situation? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't on, I couldn't see all that cause I was on the, like I said, the truck went past me. And then that was on the front side of the truck where all that was going on. So I saw everybody jump on the truck. I wasn't even sure if they got them out until after uh, one of my friends told me they did. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's I, I don't know. I, I don't like to speak on stuff like that because obviously there is clearly violence going on um, in that situation. But, you know, the police are trying to, I guess, do their job and detain the guy. But at the same time, police were kind of indiscriminately shooting uh, 
rubber bullets and tear gas at people that were walking away from the situation too, which is a lot of things that you know, some people don't talk about. People just walking up to 35, trying to get back up to 35, and police cars driving by just spraying mace at people who are 100 yards from the situation, clearly leaving, clearly scared, just trying to get the fuck off the bridge. So, I mean, it is it is what it is at this point. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff like that. Have you ever experienced police harassment or been racially profiled? Yeah, of course. I mean, I'd probably say racially profiled a lot. Not just, are you talking about my police or? And, and either way, you know, your experiences. I mean, yeah, yeah racially profiled. I, I, everybody is racially profiled, honestly, um, especially people of color. Um, ethnically profiled, racially profiled, whatever. So to me, it's like, I feel like I've learned how to deal with those situations. That doesn't excuse it, in my opinion. But that's anything that any minority has ever faced um, has been profiled in that way. Um, even if it's ignorant, even if it's an ignorant joke coming from, so like, of course, it's happened for police, for sure, when I was a kid. Uh, several times, probably two, three times, uh, driving home. One sticks out in particular, driving home like half a mile from my house. I had my dad's car, it was a Mercedes, um, at the time I was just using it, and I got home, police pulled me over, asked what I was doing around here, after I gave it my license, asked what I was doing, license registration, all that, he asked what I was doing around here, I was probably like 16, um, uh, asked what I was doing in the area, I told him, he said, is this car mine, I said, yeah, it's mine, he asked me to step out of the car, he asked me if he could search the car, I said, no. And I said, it's my dad's car. He asked me what did my dad do and how did my dad get such a nice car, uh, stuff like that. Um, and that, I mean, it wasn't anything crazy. Eventually, he just let me back in the car, said, be careful, like, gave me a warning, but I wasn't even speeding. I know I wasn't speeding. Um, so he said I was going 10 over, but I definitely was not, uh, because that's one of the things. When I was younger, that was one of the first conversations I would have with my parents when I was eight years old talking about how to deal with police if anything's really running around because I mean I'm assuming my dad's from Jackson, Mississippi and he was born in 1950 in the middle of the civil rights era so um, that's one thing my parents taught me at a very very young age as, as well as I'm sure most if not all black folks get the same speech so um, yeah oh yeah first what kind of con- or how'd that conversation go? What does that conversation entail? <laughs> uh, for me, I don't really, I didn't really talk back. It was just a blunt one. It was, this is how you act in front of the police confront you, and this is what you do. You don't talk back. You don't say anything crazy. Just do what they say. Don't try and make any sudden movements. But, you know, little stuff like as soon as you get pulled over, put both hands on the wheel, look straight ahead. Um, make sure everything is closed up. If, if they ask you to grab something, make sure you move very slowly and tell them what you're reaching to grab um, and where it is. Um, so for instance, if they ask for your license, say my license is in the glove box, do you mind if I grab it? Um, things like that. And just be very clear, as clear as you can and blunt. Because um, um, even though, and that's why it's frustrating when you hear people talk about statistics and numbers. It's clearly a disproportionate thing that, you know, black men, 
specifically get killed by police unarmed at a higher rate than any other group. And other people will meet you with other facts and only commit half the crime and blah, 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 which is, which is true, but crime does not equate with death. It's not supposed to equate with death. So it's not supposed to be a correlation there. Um, necessarily, in an unarmed situation, there's not supposed to be a correlation there. Um, so it's just something where it's like, you know, I, especially for me, it's almost like an identity check because I went to the mill. And uh, the mill there is predominantly white. So I'm dealing with a bunch of people that don't deal with the same conversations that I'm having at home, but then they still feel like white people have a tendency, black people as well, white people more so have a tendency to take you outside your race when you have things that are not stereotypical. So I grew up, my family did well. Uh, my dad was uh, in financial services. And I've had friends say to me, are you even really black? Like, just because my parents just been Damn, so I can't, <laughs> it's because I, you know, I'm around you guys, means that I'm not black, and yada, 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 and that's black, like, like, there's levels to blackness, so it's just stuff like that, where it's just like, y'all don't deal with this, and y'all not really trying to understand it either, so, it's, uh, yeah. What kind of conversations do you think you need to have with your white friends from that school, or that you've grown up with, to, to help them understand, or? Not my, it's not my job to have conversations with my white friends, it's like, they want to, honestly, at, at this age of 30 or something, you want to, I don't really tolerate the, the comments as much. Um, I've had, you know, friends say, say nigga or whatever. And then, I mean, obviously, I've said it before. I, I say it to my vocabulary. Um, like, friends think, well, you can't, you can say it, why can't we? I don't even, I don't even engage in those conversations anymore. It's not. But they, I'm sorry, let me stop. I, if they ask, I'll engage them. If they want to know, then I'll respond. But some people are asking just to be rhetorical and just to be a dickhead. And I don't even engage in situations like that just because, I mean, you know, everybody knows the history of the word. You know why black people say it now, like, even that, but you still want to say it to me. It's just like, it's just like you don't want to, you don't even want to learn. So I don't, um, some of the conversations that I have are about just my experience, if it is an open conversation, just be about my experience as a as a black male, even a black male who's grown up and went to a predominantly white school. That's a whole different experience than a lot of black people don't experience. So, um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of rambling, but it's uh, I, I don't I don't feel the need to have the conversation. If they don't want to have the conversation. It's not my job to educate them. Uh, or volunteer knowledge to them What do you think needs to be done for true equality to happen in America? Um, I, honestly, I don't believe in equality. I don't. I don't think that exists. I don't think there's. Um, I don't think human nature permits equality of the races. I think that there could be um, equity to be had from both sides, but I mean. Quality, like everything's equal. I don't think that's, you know, I think that's a fairy tale. Um, but for, you know, people of color, specifically black people, to get, put themselves in an equitable position, there needs to be a lot of things that change from a legislative standpoint, um, from, a, from a, I guess, an entire encompassing group, like the entire United States or world or whatever. Um, there needs to be a reckoning in terms of in terms of 
people who want to be helpful, want to learn, want to know other people's experiences. Right now, you don't have that because it's natural. If I'm a white dude from Edina living a good life, and I'm a good person, and I'm not, I don't do anything to anybody. I mean, why would I care to find out about someone else's struggle that a group of people struggle that I've never interacted with? I'm not doing anything to them. I'm still a good person, so I don't think there's much of a desire to even or a care to even find out. Which I mean, I think that's human nature. So for me, I'm more concerned about how uh, focused on how Black people can create equitable situations for themselves. Whether and I think the only way to do that is through. Uh, policy um, and economics, and that's learning of being able to govern ourselves individually and then police yourself, first and foremost, take as much personal responsibility as you can, because you know that you're not going to get much help on a systemic level right now, and uh, just try and take, I mean, just take as much control of your own life as you can. So whether that's you know, teaching your son that being a police officer in your neighborhood isn't a bad thing, being a senator is not a bad thing. Being a, you know, even small things like just taking pride in your job, even if it's not you know not an NBA player or a senator, maybe just to maybe you just to uh, I don't know, maybe just maybe you're a garbage man, maybe you work at McDonald's at but hopefully at a younger age, um, or whatever, but just taking pride in your job and being able to provide for yourself and the people you care about. is one of the things that I think have gotten lost just because we've never had anything. I appreciate you coming on here. Okay, we got Tevin Pittman with us today. Uh, Tevin. Yes, sir. First, first of all, you, you're you part of the show, so you know how we do everything <laughs> here. Um, yep. But I, I wish we were getting together over something that wasn't so sad and tragic. Um, you've been oh, yes. front lines every night. You actually live in the thick of this. Um, can you tell me, you know, what, what you're experiencing, how you feel? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's very surreal. Um, I live off, just off of Chicago and Lake Street, which is um, about 12 to 14 blocks north of where uh, George Floyd was murdered. And then it's two blocks away from Lake Street, which is where all of the rioting has gone on, um, you know, less than a mile from the third precinct, which got burned down in that target area. That target, I've shopped there you know, multiple times every week. They actually had just renovated that target. It was it used to be a dump inside. And then they just finally now fixed it up. It was pretty much brand new. And now that's all burned to the ground. Um, my block personally has been fairly safe. We had uh, somebody tried to break into our apartment complex yesterday, uh, but our neighborhood watch people kind of scared them away. Um, we've had some smaller fires in the area. A car fire was started. But at least for my block, it's been pretty safe. Luckily, we have the Children's Hospital, which the National Guard has been protecting nonstop, and uh, Midtown Global Market as well. So it kind of deters some of the riffraff, but we live next to, I live next to like this, I guess, the Somali, I don't even know what the name of the Somalian Mall is. I always call it the Somalian Mall of America because it's yeah. huge. Um, but they, that was supposed to be the big target yesterday. Um, but yeah, not a lot has been going down. You just get a lot of cars zipping around and a lot of police. But for the most part, it's been relatively calm, other than the and, fires, which is and I mean, you, I mean, you've seen even the crazier stuff. You've been trying to get people to quit rioting and, and looting, and you even, yeah. been, you know, trying to avoid the police from something bad happening to you. Like it's been a, a whirlwind. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just a quick kind of rundown was 
Uh, so like the first night after Georgia got murdered, I went down to, to the scene, to the memorial and kind of hung out there, uh, left because it started to get a little, little rowdy. There were some people in the group fighting with each other just because you had a lot of people that were like, oh, you're not from here. You don't understand. And it was just kind of tensions were high. People were emotional. Um, I believe, I believe it was somebody I want to say was related to her or to him uh she got into an argument with the guy because he was kind of goofing around out there not taking it serious she ended up crying people you know consoling her he kind of leaves but then it kind of calmed down and then obviously after that the tear gas and stuff and then the police came through but i mean i guess compared to what's been going on that was the most calm uh at least at night that it's been uh the second night Again, during the day, it's always been peaceful protests. And then at night is really when things really pop off. That's when the precinct got burned down. Um, I wasn't there for that. I drove by, I actually went to Rack Shack uh, at five o'clock. Cause I was like, yeah, I need, I'm like, I need food. And I've been trying to go to Rack Shack all the time, but they're always closed on my days off. So I finally went down there. I was driving back. Shout out Rack Shack. Shout out Rack Shack. In the state. Hey, that's, okay. Yes, go get yourself a hobo if you don't. Be happy I, I introduced you. Man, I tell everybody about that. Okay. They, uh, <laughs> but uh, I kind of got diverted through because I was trying to avoid the 38th in Chicago protesting at home. So I went up a side street close uh, that uh, that third precinct is on, and there were people everywhere. And so, like, I'm talking about the Target parking lot was full, Cub Foods parking lot was full. It was people everywhere, and it was all mostly peaceful. Um, I ran into a few people that I knew, so I got out of the car and hung out for a little while. Uh, people started throwing things at the third precinct. And that's when I was like, yeah, I'm out of here. Cause something's not, something's going to go bad. And sure enough, you know, obviously we saw the videos of target getting looted and the third pre precinct burning down. And it was like, it was complete anarchy. Like the whole, you couldn't, the black smoke was so thick that you can't see, like if you're driving somewhere, you can't see more than like a hundred feet. There was, I think it was the second night, um, I was driving from a different protest that I was going down Lake street. And again, cause everything was just chaotic. You're getting diverted to different roads. And I remember being on Lake street about to turn on, I think it's 55 to go North. And it like really butts up right next to target and the precinct, but you were still able to drive through there. And uh, I remember it was just black smoke and it went from being black smoke to just a group of thousands, which looked like thousands and thousands of people, um, like, but now, but you, but they look black, like silhouettes because of the smoke, but it just, you could just see just a mass of people. So it was really 24, pretty much 24 hours that they were, they were down there those first couple of nights. I got, I got a question for you with all that. Do you think yep. a lot of those people were from here? I think originally they were. Um, so like we'll go to, so I think it was Friday night when the Wells Fargo got burned down on Lake and Nicollet. Um, I was out there really and not like looting anything or doing anything more so to kind of document and just you've been doing unreal what's going on and, and a lot of cool and, and so like you know we we got down there probably like nine you know after like the you know because usually during the day we'd be out protest come home eat change kind of gather yourself and then we went back out uh, got down there and it was all peaceful like People are all like standing in the intersection, facing the precinct, chanting. Um, people were trying to like tear down a light pole and parts of the group would, hey guys, stop doing that. Get back in with us. And then people like just started breaking out and they started looting the gas station, Wells Fargo, like anything that was around there, they're starting to burn. And you would get, you would get another group that had 
you know, another, let's say 500 people marching around the part that was being looted, but chanting, don't join the looters, you know, we're not here for this and trying to defer from that. And then once that peaceful kind of protest went through where uh, the people that were by the kind of the precinct just standing, a lot of people from the precinct also because it was late and past curfew we're like, all right, we're going to continue marching with this peaceful protest. And then that's when all you had left were rioters and looters that are literally just anything that can burn, they're setting on fire. Uh, I remember there were some buildings that had businesses on the first level and then apartments above. They broke into those. Um, and people that were still, some of the peaceful people that were left over came over and were like, hey, no, like get out of there. People live up there. So it there's as much as it is chaos, there is still people out here that are trying to, you know, deter people. There's, you know, medics that have set up camps out there that are, you know, hey, if you got tear gas or pepper sprayed or shot with a rubber bullet, or if you fall and get trampled or hurt or in any type of way, they're there to help you out. Uh, people got milk and water and masks and it's, it's, it's chaos, but it, it's kind of like controlled chaos. And, and I think that, as far as like people that are from out of town as far or in town, I think a lot of people are out of town. It's probably about 50, 50, but I know like at night, the last couple of nights being outside, you'll see cars that have either no license plates or out of town license plates with all tinted out windows that are just driving around. We had uh, one guy on my street that he pulled up and he just like sat there, turned his lights off. And then when we approached the car, Again, it was uh, no license plates. He, but then he turns his car back on and zips out, ran like three red lights, squeals the tires. Obviously, you're up to something, up to no good if you're getting spooked by somebody just walking towards you and uh, confronting you. No kidding. No kidding. Um, you know, I wanted to get into this too because I, I feel like a lot of the media's people are forgetting the the real message here that it was about an injustice that was done to George Floyd and. Yeah. Um, I think they're really focusing on the rioting and the looting. And, and now the semi who almost killed thousands of people on the bridge. But I, I wanted to mm-hmm. talk to you about the, if you've ever been racially profiled or, or been involved with some police harassment and, and what that entailed. Uh, yeah. I mean, I grew up in Osceola, Wisconsin, as you know, uh, predominantly white area. I never had to deal with like the police brutality or anything like that, uh, which is probably good. Well, obviously it's good, but I mean, I was an idiot as a little kid, like only black kid in the area. And I remember we'd be playing like basketball outside at a friend's house and like a police car would drive by and I'm an idiot. I thought it'd be funny. All right, I'm just going to take off running. And so I would just take off running. And like my dad worked in the uh, Polk County Sheriff's uh, uh, the jail, like he was a uh, corrections officer. And so like all the police, like, and when you're the only black kid, like, everybody just knows kind of who you are or of you. And, you know, when you've got the reputation of being a pretty decent kid, you're not getting into trouble anyway. But I'll just take off running because I thought it was funny. And, like, if I did that growing up in the cities, I'd probably be dead. I probably wouldn't have made it past high school because you're doing that stuff. I'm glad so, you're not the, Yeah. The only, the only time that I ever got, like, racially profiled, I remember I bought a BMW in Louisiana. Uh, and I moved back to Minneapolis and I still had like the dealer plates and I was waiting to get them mailed to me and I got pulled over. Uh, and the police officer, like when he comes to the window, instead of saying license registration, do you know, I pulled you over. He like, he goes, where'd you get this car? And I was like, excuse me? Like, what are you talking about? He's like, where'd you get this car? He's like, oh, I purchased it. Like, 
bought it from living in Louisiana. Now I moved back here. Like I had all the proper paperwork. Nothing was even remotely suspicious. And so he, I remember he's like, well, I need your license registration, all that. And I gave it to him. And he's like, uh, he's like, you purchased this car. He kept like, he wouldn't believe that I bought this car. And so I like, remember I happened to have the receipt still in the glove box. Like that's how new this car was. And I like, I'm like, dude, I have the receipt right here. Like showed him the receipt with my signature name that I purchased it. And it had the, another name on the paper. And he points at, he's like, well, who's this? And I'm like, the person I bought it from. And I'm like, dude, that's the name of the dealer from the dealership that sold it to me. And I'm like, he like looks at it, gives it back to me. And he kind of like takes this like deep sigh of like disappointment. He's like, all right, well, be careful out. Like, keep it, be careful out there. Like I wasn't even speeding or anything like that. He was just like, all right, well, have a good day. And then just left. Like, dude, are you, that would be the closest thing, which is luckily not even near as bad as anything that anybody else has to deal with. Uh, but yeah, that'd be the closest thing to. What, what kind of conversations you have with your parents and after that? Um, I mean, at that point, like I was probably like 22, 23. Like, I don't even think I told them to be honest with you. Like, really? It was for me, it was just like, okay, I like, I'm fine. Like I've been, I wasn't like mad or anything like that or furious. It was just like, okay, that's just what we have to deal with. Okay. Then well, now we know. And so it's just more so everything, like gathering the information and knowing how to operate in certain situations. Do you feel like mentally or, or physically you need an outlet, though, to deal with stuff like that? Or do you feel like you don't deal with that often? Um, I mean, no, I think for an outlet is just talking to other people, like other black people, like my friends and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not a very emotional person to begin with. So it's, you know, I mean, it's not probably not healthy to keep things bottled up. But yeah, there's definitely just talking to other people the, about their similar situations is really the way that I think that I would deal with it in mental outlets. There's, I don't think, like, I've never had to, like, been so mad where I'm like, oh, I'm going to punch a wall or anything like that. I try to keep things in perspective and, and keep moving forward. What do you, and, and one of the final questions here is I just want to know, what do you think needs to be done in America for true equality to happen? Um, wow. Uh, I think it's just for having people, to be honest with you, just having an open mind and not thinking that, oh, this stuff like this doesn't happen here, you know, because that's how, like, a lot, you think a lot of things are, is, oh, yeah, that happens in the world, but it doesn't happen here. This is Minnesota. Everybody's Minnesota nice, like. No, it's, you know, it's, and it's not just overt racism that you're vi a victim to. Like, that's, I would much rather have everybody be like, let me know right off jump, like, I don't like black people. Perfect. Now I know, and now I can live my life accordingly. But it's the, you know, and it's just having that open mind of saying that you have, whether it's you see a black person on the street or somebody that doesn't look like you, it doesn't have to be black, be any race. And, you know, whether it's, you know, the stereotypical grabbing the purse or something like that, where it's like, you don't mean to come off as racist, doesn't make you a bad person, but it's just realizing like those little things in your life and how you can, you know, you know, teach the next generation that we're all the same, regardless of how we look or what we look like. And uh, it's, it's something that's not going to get solved overnight. And you have to be willing to you know, work on it. And you, yeah, you're mad about rioters and looters, but when you're as equally upset about 
buildings being burned down as you are with the reason that we got to this point in the first place, like then progress will be made. I appreciate you telling us that. And, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show to express this because yeah. I feel like it needs to be said. So thank you. Yeah, no, no problem. And then, then quick, I got a couple quick stories. Cause like okay. you said, I'm, I'm, I've been out here kind of in the shit and it's, it's, it's been, I'm smiling. Cause that's the only way that I could laughing at the pain. Yeah. You. Mentally like comprehend what's even going on. Uh, I want to say one thing that's probably not a popular thing to say, but the police have showed a very, like a great, like resolve and not just coming in and going after everybody. Because, uh, like I said, most of these protests are peaceful. I was at one downtown where where it was at night and everybody's you know, very peaceful. And then a couple of kids start breaking windows in one of the skyscrapers downtown. And a part of the protesters like, stop, go over, tell them, hey, stop doing this. Get back over here with us. Calm it down. And then the next thing you notice, I'm standing there in the middle of a sea of people. And you see, like, 20 heads, like, look to the left and up. And I look and you just see this gallon of milk like flying through the air. And like, I noticed it was skim milk. I'll never forget, just pink cap trailing behind it. And I remember looking and thinking like, no way that's gonna hit the police. Like they can't be throwing that milk at the police. And sure enough, like officers standing there and you just see, boom, gallon of milk hits him like shoulder, collarbone area and just explodes. He's covered head to toe in milk. And the whole crowd just kind of like, collectively like stop making any noise it kind of everybody took like a half step back like are we about to get just absolutely messed up by tear gas and all this because this guy threw a gallon of milk and the officer like to his credit just like stood there didn't move didn't flinch and everybody just kind of like okay so we're, we're good for we're good for a little bit but then they like went and got the guy uh one of the protesters went and got the guy that threw the milk and was like you had got to get out like you're going to get us all shot if you keep doing this. And there was another lady that like two minutes later has one of those big construction barrels. Yeah. She comes with it above her head and walking towards the police line. And she gets like face to face with them. And she like, you can see her start to lean back. Like she's about to just yeet and throw it at them. And one of the protesters again, like grabs and like, Hey, like stop. Like you're going to get us all shot. So like you have the protesters that are, you know, policing themselves, but at the same time, like the police, like if that was me and somebody's about to throw a barrel at me and I see her starting to make that motion, I've already thought of how I'm going to stop you from throwing this bottle for them to be like, he was prepared to, from my opinion, it looked like he was prepared to just take that to the chest. Like, man, better man than I, because I would have put some hands on her for sure. (laughs) But, But no, it's, it's yeah, it's it's crazy. And then like you brought up the the semi truck. Uh, yeah, we were out on 35, and I was sitting on the median. Uh, I believe PJ Hill, who or uh, Royce White, who organized, they're giving a speech. Uh, as long as another lady, I can't think of her name right now, um, so I apologize. But anyway, like we're all literally sitting down in the middle of 35W on both sides, and I was on the opposite side of the semi, but like right by the median. And you start to hear, because everybody was quiet, and uh, Mayor Fry was coming out to talk to us. And, like, we were literally sitting down saying, okay, obviously we can't all just shout questions at him. So what are the points that we want to get across to him? Here's the question. Like, what questions do we want to ask? We were having, like, literally just a little small discussion with 6,000 people. And then all of a sudden you hear kind of like a rumble, and people start standing up. 
And so I stand up and then you just see this semi coming towards the crowd. So I like jump up on the median. Um, there were some all, people were already up on the median as well. And now everybody's just scattering. You're pulling people up across the median because you don't know what this semi is about to do. Um, it kind of like zooms by me and then you see it like look like it's going over like bumps. And so in my mind, I thought he just ran over a ton of people. Uh, thankfully, it was just people that had brought bikes out when they ran. Obviously, you leave your bike there. And so he was running over those bikes. And that's that's what the movement was. Um, so, yeah, luckily, I think there was one girl that she ended up in that moment, like having a seizure. And I think the truck grazed her and her friend who was trying to help her out of the way. But other than that, nobody got nobody got hurt or you know, seriously hurt or killed, thankfully. Uh, but yeah, the second his truck, like even started to slow down, people were on it, like trying to break the windows, get him out. Uh, there's some videos that are online of people that were filming at the time and then didn't stop filming and chase the truck. And you can hear him yelling like, Hey, he didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. It was an accident. Don't like, don't kill him. Don't kill him. Cause like people were like, yo, drag him out and murder him. Like there were people that were not which and like if if it would have been a white supremacist like trying to kill a bunch of people you like you can understand where that where that comes from but yeah thankfully if it does turn out that he was it was an accident that uh yeah thankfully he wasn't wasn't killed because that was just honestly it just detracts from what the message is that everybody's trying to get across i'm glad you're safe and sound man i was really worried i, I remember hitting you up so i'm glad you're safe always